Hi everyone and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. My name's Amelia, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Anime Feminist and I'm joined today by Caitlin Moore and Peter Phobian. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I write and edit for Anime Feminist. I also have my own blog, Heroin Problem, which is pretty much around along the same vein as Anime Feminist, it's just all me. <laughs> I'm Peter Phobian. I'm an Associates Features Editor for Crunchyroll and a contributor to Anime Feminist. Okay, so today we're looking at the winter 2017 season, which is just wrapping up now. Um, we started this season with a, uh, a ranking of the premieres that I had seen and reviewed that were full length and for adults and not continuing. So they were new seasons, they weren't sequels. In the middle of the season, we did our very first ever podcast episode looking at our mid-season kind of impressions, what everyone was still watching, what they thought so far, what they dropped already and why. And now we're going back to look at what we actually watched to the end, what we didn't, and what we would recommend from that. So let's start with looking at what we all watched to the end. Now there's only actually three shows that the three of us did uh, watch to the end. And the first one of those I wanna talk about is Interviews with Monster Girls. Now this was actually number one in our rankings. We had really high hopes for it. So Caitlin, what did you think about how it uh, ended up? You know, it's, when it's good, it's really, really good. <laughs> but when it's bad, it's just so agonizing. Um, yeah. with, with very, very, very little middle ground um but every time i started to really go sour on it something would pull back in it would pull something off really well and i would be just right back ready to see what it was going to do next yeah it was a hard one to walk away from completely wasn't it there wasn't mm -hmm. ever a point where it was so bad and irredeemable that <laughs> we didn't want to watch it anymore but at the same time it's not an unqualified recommendation i'm guessing no like Peter, what did you think of it? I think all of us kind of early on had our concerns about it becoming a harem anime, and uh, yes. yeah, it just kept on like dipping into that territory. I guess, I I guess that was my main complaint. I also felt like I don't. There were really like strong uh, concepts that the show approached each of their like situations with early on, and I, I thought it was kind of dying away. I remember actually being really impressed with the the. Um, I can't remember her name, the Succubus episode. Um, Saki. Saki, yeah. Because it kind of, like, brought that sort of, like, feeling back to the show. But then it, it kind of dipped again. Everyone, like like you said, every once in a while, they'd come in with a really cool thing. I think it finished pretty strong as well, but just there was a lot of, like, mud in the middle. You said you, the, the Succubus episode was a high point. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I personally just thought it was uh, a really like strong episode as far because each of them got like their focus episodes to start with mm -hmm. hers i guess kind of just um i don't know her like forced isolation uh having to take the early trains and kind of like second guessing every social interaction she has uh was i thought was pretty powerful and kind of a unique way to approach it yeah i yo i thought the succubus thing worked well for like anxiety like a anxiety analog to an extent like she can't handle being around it's cast as something that's external whereas anxiety is something that's internal but like she can't be around large crowds of people she has to um i guess you could say more like a agoraphobia or something um 
she yeah like you said she like she can't trust any of her interactions um because she doesn't know whether or not the guy is just being fueled by the guy being attracted to her or not um so yeah that's all that's how i sort of thought of it initially but then her character became just all about her crush on takahashi yeah. sensei that was my big problem with her i think i thought the the way that they presented the idea of a succubus where it really was relatable as a woman in you know just western society and then they they kept telling her story through the mouths of men which really mm-hmm. frustrated me they they brought in this father figure police detective who was basically uh, responsible for kind of trying to work out which succubi were succubi succubuses i don't know uh, which ones are criminals and likely to entrap men into <laughs> sexual harassment allegations and which ones aren't so that was awkward and just him and takahashi having conversations about her yeah that was and that was interesting because that one is definitely like a direct comparison to a real world situation exactly um and the whole thing is that like people if you look around on the internet people who talk about women entrapping men on the subway they talk about it as if it's this huge huge issue but I did not find a single source from a uh, reputable news site. It was all from like men's rights blogs. So I really, I don't know. I don't doubt that it does happen sometimes, but I don't, I think it's rare compared to guys who are just uh, preying on women in the subway. So I think presenting that way was very uncomfortable because it's too, just too close to real life. And actually within the series itself, they'd established that Takahashi could control his responses to her. Mm-hmm. And that he could present himself as if she was having no effect on him. You know, like people have to do in everyday life in the real world. Mm-hmm. You have, if you're attracted to somebody, but you're in a professional setting, you don't show it. And the fact that he is shown as being able to exert control over himself, but apparently other other men aren't. It was it wasn't consistently applied this uh, this analogy, and it wasn't used to its greatest advantage I think which is a real shame because other things that they did in the series like the way they treated uh, Machi the Dullahan like her treatment was beautiful most of the time uh, the whole the whole I, I think all of us had an issue with the investigator episode I felt like the whole purpose of his character was kind of just a gaslighter because um, yeah. I remember later on he was t- like basically saying, "Hey, use your succubus powers to get Takahashi." And I was like, yes. "This is literally exactly the opposite." Like, he's his job is to make sure she doesn't do this, and now he's telling her to do it. And I don't know if this is like uh, a form of entrapment or something. And then I also was bothered because uh, it does a flashback to when she was a kid, uh, yeah. and that one guy like uh, came after. So she, I guess she was in the um, judo team or something. So yeah. she j- just fucking floors the guy, humiliates him. And uh, like I don't know, it was kind of really a, like a powerful moment, and then cut to the to the future where she's like this really insecure person again. Um, she humiliates him through the power of kink shaming. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a but, tough uh, one. It's yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one to have sympathy for that kid because he really, really pushed her to the point. Oh yeah. Like, like... He said he kept saying, "Touch me, <laughs> yeah. use your powers on me. I want to know what it's like to be affected by a succubus." Yeah. So, and then he got what he asked I mean, for. The, the yeah. kink shaming was kind of consensual, um, but it's I mean, it really was... <laughs> awkward gray area. I, I see that mostly as a joke. Yeah, yeah. Like... it was it was kind of hard to watch anyway. 
But yeah, I mean, just like uh, she seemed pretty like she knew how to handle the situation, but I, I yes. don't know if just like the years have slowly worn down on her or something like that, which just kind of left me feeling bad about the whole situation. Like it was supposed to be a joke, but I just kind of, I was like, oh, that's sad. She used to be really confident. Oh my God, that's, I'm pretty sure that's relatable to many, many women. That, yeah. <laughs> like, that, yep. that makes perfect sense to me. Um, but they didn't use her character as well as they could have to really say something about women in the real world, women in Japan specifically. I thought that was a shame. Okay, I think we're going to have to move on to the next one in our list, which was Aka. Thoughts on Aka? I liked it. <laughs> I saw a lot of people who were disappointed with the ending, but I thought it was the most... It was a very Aka like, ending, Aka wasn't it? possible <laughs> way to end the show. Like totally averting the coup it's just yeah, yeah that's uh that's pretty and just having it end in this chill way instead of this huge uh climax is totally totally how Akka just rolls and it's significant that Mova is actually the one who directs this ending from behind the scenes and then goes on to take power um from the i mean effectively she's taking power from the five chief officers or whatever they're called but they mm-hmm. i think they step down don't they they say well this, this yeah. role isn't necessary anymore you've got it under control move it's yours mm-hmm. well yeah she was the only proactive one so i feel like that makes sense they're like oh we were just sitting around drinking tea and you pretty much single-handedly fixed a coup maybe you should be in charge yeah, <laughs> yeah she's also the um first female director general is something that i remember seeing um referred to in the show um so yeah move is awesome like, she's such a fucking good character. And how about the other female characters in Akka? There was Ada, there were the women in the office, there were various women that we visited in the different districts. Any thoughts on any of them? Um, other than Lada and... Uh, oh yeah, of course, I forgot about Lada. <laughs> like, um, I feel like the women, as the series progressed and the office antics got a little bit less emphasis, like, I didn't really... The, the women had more or less equal treatment to the men uh, out in the districts. Like, I didn't really, nothing really jumped out at me as being like, wait, this isn't, mm, this, this isn't ideal. So yeah, like, it was just sort of, okay. And Akka was a really beautiful series in many ways. I mean, it's by a, um, a female mangaka, Natsume Ono. And it's, which I didn't realize when I reviewed it. I absolutely loved it when I reviewed it. I only found out later that it was from a female creator. And it's, after that, it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense um, because of the way that women are treated in this universe. And I feel like it's been a really consistent, slow burn, just appealing show. I can't put my finger on it still, what I particularly liked about it. But every week I looked forward to it. Yeah, I, I remember I, I tweeted something about that. Like, I made me kind of reassess what I think makes a good story. Because oh, yeah, it, it didn't that. really have rising tension. There was never any tension. Everybody was just super chill the entire time, even though there was, like, this coup building up. But, yeah. like, I never felt apprehensive or... No. <laughs> yeah, no. There, was, there was no, like, you know, you get, like, your rising tension and your climax. It's like how you build mm-hmm. a story. I mean, it kind yeah. of, it had its resolution, but there was just, like, uh, it was just, like, this really chill experience. Yeah, and what draws me to shows is usually big character growth. Um, it's what I loved about ReZero. That's what pulled me into a show like that. Whereas Aka doesn't really have character growth for mm. most of the major characters, I'd say. Yeah. Um, they're pretty they're pretty consistent. But still, there's just something about it. I completely agree with you. It's made me reassess for what, what makes 
an anime that I would recommend what makes a good story, what makes a good character arc. It's it's fascinating. I really enjoyed it. I do think it had good discovery, though, like character discovery as it introduced new characters. Uh, you yes. discover Nino's backstory and then like more yeah. about uh, Jean and Lada's parents and stuff like that. So there was moments of like kind of, that were kind of revelatory that were like really interesting. But besides yeah. that, it was just like eating bread and like seeing all these really strange cultures. Which in itself was enough to make it a great show for me personally. I love that part of it. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, you were going to say something? I think Akka is a really fascinating city. And I think Jean um, moving from going from uh, district to district was a, uh, a contributing factor to sort of what kept kept the series feeling fresh, even as yes, um, not a whole lot was necessarily happening as there wasn't a lot of tension because like, I mean, to me, a lot of Akka looks like different regions of the United States. You know, it's it was always sort of fun being like, where are they going to go next? What, you yeah. know, this place is the Southwest. This place is Hawaii. Oh, well, this place is very obviously Las Vegas. Um, and seeing all that variation and just sort of exploring this um, incredibly varied country and the different subcultures within the districts was really interesting. And yeah. honestly, it works almost as like a travelogue anime, primarily even bef- uh, alongside the uh, the main plot of the coup and the government intrigue. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Kino's journey, actually, just discovering these really like uh, novel areas. Um, I wanted to know more about some of them because uh, Lilium's place, uh, I can't I think it was called Fuura or something like that, was very like Saudi Arabia-esque. And uh, Mauve's town was only briefly covered, but it looked like that was kind of uh, France. But somebody said, like, only we women do stuff there or something like that. All of the officials that he met there were women. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if, like, only women work there or, like, I'm I'm kind of interested in that, like, culture that was, like, kind of hinted at. But it's like we just got a brief taste of everywhere. And the last show that we all watched, of course, was Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju which was the second season of a show that began last winter. Um, I think that's the end of it now. I'll be surprised if they go back to that well. Um, based on a manga series, and it's it's a modern masterpiece, right? Yeah, pretty much. Top ten anime I've ever watched, probably. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people say top five, top three. It's exceptional. Um, mm. Absolutely unqualified recommendation. Um, we will do a separate podcast on it. But just briefly, um, Caitlin, what did you particularly love about this show? I mean, I pretty much, in a very in very me fashion, I pretty much spent the whole uh, series just enchanted with the character of Konatsu. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, listen, like, obviously, the whole cast is really good, and I yeah. really like them. They're all really great characters. And they are all have very compelling stories. But Konatsu is just like, she hits just right on the kind of characters that I love. Like angry girls who are like struggling in this male-driven world. Who are trying to like find equal footing. Um, and se- sort of seeing that arc like when in the um, second season when she's like, I don't want to do Rakugo. Um, I don't want to be, I don't want to be disruptive like that. It really threw me off. Cause like, yeah. um, I was like, no, Konatsu, come on, <laughs> fight the power, fight, you know, <laughs> fight the powers that be. Um, 
but you know, it's you it, you can't all be Tamora Pierce characters, and Shio, it was a much more slow burn with that, um, with her and sort of her trying to uh, be a grown up about it, um, seeing her come to be, you know, to finally like live her goals was just so moving for me um in the episode where she finally turns to yakumo and is like can i be your apprentice she had announced her pregnancy earlier in the episode and i had gotten a little bit sniffly because i love babies (laughs) Um, (laughs) i love babies i love babies being born like you know i'm a fucking toddler teacher that's just who i am um (laughs) but like when she turned to him and she asked that i just started bawling like, that whole episode was a big cry fest for me. I that think was... I fell apart near the, the beginning of the episode and just didn't stop, basically. It was beautiful. So, yeah, Konatsu. Konatsu definitely was what uh, initially drew me into uh, yeah. uh, Rakugo Shinju and just seeing her story come to fruition just was absolutely amazing. Peter, how about you? Uh, yeah, also the, the pregnancy announcement was their way of kind of confirming that she and Yotaro are, like, actually are a them. couple. Yeah, yeah. Not, just, uh, not just both raising the kid together, which I really liked. They're, they're doing it. Yeah, personally, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, for sure. At uh, least once. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was on the same boat. Like, Konatsu was probably my favorite character, and I was like, if this series ends without her becoming a Rakugo performer, I'm gonna, like, take, like, a star or two off of its rating, just because it would be so disappointing to me. Um, as far as, like, themes that I really liked in it, though, I kind of liked, uh, well, uh, a common theme in, like, a lot of the, the more shonen and seinen stuff I read is, like, the pursuit of power at the cost of connecting with others, like, uh, um, and I felt like this had a very novel take on that, because, uh, Bond's, uh, pursuit of Rakugo at the cost of his personal connections, like, uh, it was basically exchanging power for art, um, was a very, uh, interesting way of approaching that sort of narrative dynamic, and also the whole series was just sort of like this push and pull between like this very like uh, traditional patriarchal organization and these people who were trying to, and I mean, you could, you could see these traditions were slowly killing off the art form and these people who were trying to create changes and like allow this art form to evolve so it could continue to survive, uh, which I thought was just an amazing narrative that crossed both seasons. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost like Rakugo, because Rakugo is very grounded in the real world, but um, it's almost like the ending was like this alternate history, because Rakugo had absolutely started to evolve um, around like during when the second season took place, like in the early '90s, the first uh, female, the first female Rakugo artist um, started like making waves and she's got a bunch of students now there are foreign Rakugo uh, there are you know foreign Rakugo artists but in this version of Rakugo history Rakugo was not performed in Tokyo for 15 years uh, after the theater burned down and Konatsu in around in the early 2010s was the first female Rakugo artist yeah and that kind of threw me because that's really like erasing a lot of the accomplishments of uh, the people who did fight in the real world to make these waves. When and the show just feels so real that it's 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 weird. I I can't define exactly like what throws me off about it because obviously you know it's oh it's just fiction like they're gonna 
change reality to suit the narrative, but it just it it, it didn't sit quite right with me. Yeah, I mean, it's a story all about the world of Rakugo evolving and becoming broader, more accessible, more welcoming. And they ended up in a place that within within universe they're pretty proud of. And it's nowhere near where we actually are in present day. So they're really pleased that they have young people on board and a few women, or like one woman, I guess, at that point. Um, whereas now, like you said, there are foreign Rakugo artists. There's, there's many women. It's a very different environment and it's much more progressive. And it's it's an interesting choice that the uh, the author of this story made not to include that future. So we can discuss this at length, I'm sure, on the main Rakugo podcast that we will be doing. To move on, um, just looking at other shows we watched to the end, Miss um, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, Caitlin, you and I watched that. Peter, you, you dropped it? No, I've, uh, I've been watching it all the way through. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, and so what do we all think? <laughs> Bearing in mind, actually, the last episode hasn't aired yet at the time of recording, so we're going right up to episode 12. Mm-hmm. It is a delightful little series with a couple of glaring flaws. What are those couple of glaring flaws? Uh, the whole thing with Lukoa and right. Shota is really just... Uh, are they one floor each, or is there something else? Um, <laughs> is that, uh, that yeah, the main that's one? Pretty much, that's pretty much the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, Peter, how about you? Um, I really like the show. Uh, I was kind of uh, surprised uh, because, uh, like, in the early episodes, it was all about just Toru being, like, super thirsty. Uh, but then <laughs> yeah. she ends up sort of taking a back seat to Kana, who kind of, I think, is, like, the sleeper main character of the, the story. Um, <laughs> just because, and, like, uh, kind of like their family dynamic. Um, although yeah. recently Toru's got a couple episodes as well that were more focused on her again. Um, but it was just sort of, I'm not sure if there was like a specific theme, but it's just very kind of slice of lifey with these really weird characters. I mean, obviously there's the Shota thing that's the problem. I know there was some complaints regarding, uh, Kana's interactions with, uh, uh what's her name? Saikawa? Saikawa, yeah. Yeah, I don't personally have an issue with that, although I kind of see where they're, what they're talking about. Yeah, well, you know, I could talk about this from a child development perspective. Yeah. So they're eight. Um, they're in third grade. That it was shown during the uh, sports festival episode. Eight-year-olds are absolutely capable of being attracted to other eight-year-olds, like and being like, oh, want like touching and all of that. Like it's not like you know sexual in the same way that adults are sexual, but like it is absolutely a thing. Uh, at that age so I didn't I had no issue with it I mean it seemed like the way that children were treated was really divisive um speaking of uh Luca and and Shota um (laughs) I mean Luca I think is a really really polarizing character because I saw some people stop watching the show for her Mm -hmm. um which I completely understand yeah and then on the other end of the spectrum I've seen some women really relate to her really identify whether i've seen cosplayers dress up as her um and talk about what a big fan of her hers they are and i i don't really know where that comes from apart from just her figure like she is slightly i guess stockier than your standard sort of waif like anime woman she's got this very galco-ish shape yeah um but from from my perspective she was a very one joke character and 
every time you saw her, they just went the mind that one joke. And I think that's what frustrated me about her is you don't you don't ever go beyond that with Lukoa that I recall. Uh, there were a couple scenes, especially early on. Uh, she kept calling Lukoa for advice. Uh, Lukoa would visit them after she was first introduced in person several times to make sure that Toru was doing okay. And I think they had one moment like that near the end, of, or near the, the more recent part of the series, because it's not over yet, uh, where she visits and they have tea when she's trying to figure out how to make good omurice, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which, where it's kind of like she has, she's kind of like a maternal figure to Toru. She's the she's the mom friend. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. Is she is she interchangeable with any other character? I feel like you could have put another character in there and it wouldn't have mattered. It didn't have to be Lukoa specifically. Yeah. They just needed someone that that Tolu could bounce off in that in that moment and Elma has a job, I guess. So it was yeah, I didn't I don't think they revealed anything really about her character, her background, certainly not to the extent of Kanna or of Elma or of Fafnir who I absolutely loved by the end of it. His, um, his moving in with uh, Toru's co-worker. Yeah. I'm kind of having this little gaming house. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. But yeah, Lukoa really, really stuck for me. It, she didn't work for me, but she is working for many women out there. So I also don't want to write her off completely as, as a character that people can feel positively about. Yeah. Fafnir's, uh, like, there was a... I, I thought that pretty much how you feel about Lukoa, I thought is how I would feel about Fafnir. Like he was just oh, sort really? of like a like an angry guy who wasn't gonna like nothing would come of it. But then he yeah he started living with that other guy and he has some really cool like character moments. Like uh, when it starts to rain and he takes in all the laundry, uh, yeah. and how he's talking about because uh, he's sort of like the very conservative character talking about how short lived humans are and how your connection like what however invested you get it's going to just be that much worse later on. Uh, yeah. And he sort of warns Toru against, uh, like, just t- basically telling her to be cautious. Uh, and but then Don't he starts developing that sort of thing and sort of realizing the value of it himself. And <laughs> I was just like kind of blown away that they they took that character in that direction. I didn't think that they would do anything with Fafnir, but I I think his relationship. I wish I could remember the guy's name. His first name is Takia. I don't remember uh, his surname. Takia. Yeah, yeah. I thought. Yeah, I like their their gaming house thing. Also, that's super cool. Yeah. I live in that. It was pad. very sweet. Yeah. They're very domestic in their way. Yeah, uh, Like absolutely. in the most recent episode where it's like, it starts raining and he just goes and he like, Pakia comes home and he's like brought in the laundry. And yeah. And there's a towel there waiting for him. And he's yeah. just like, you need to join me. We have to, we have to grind. And it was like, it was just a really. It's like, very real. Quiet, honestly. Quiet everyday moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like. And That's they just, uh, pretty accurate too. <laughs> and they leave that subtext wide open as well. Yeah, it's like they could just be housemates. Or if you want to read into it, you can. They didn't shut it down. Uh, I thought that was really nice inclusion. Mm-hmm. So are those the only four shows that we all watched? I mean, you say only like four shows is a, is a small amount of anime to watch <laughs> in this season. That's a That's a good run for me. Yeah, I watched quite a lot more, um, but I wouldn't recommend all of it. So I just want to look at what we would recommend. Interviews with Monster Girls, would we recommend this to people? Uh, qualified recommendation. I would yeah. feel like I would have to explain, uh, like, give them a really good rundown of the pitfalls oh. and the yeah. strengths uh, before I could really, like, recommend it in good conscience. 
just be like, make sure this is really what you're like, what you're looking for, and know what you're getting into. Same for you, Peter. I, I don't know actually. I guess I'd say you could watch all the character-focused episodes, and if you still like it, keep watching. But uh, after that, it does kind of it. It has its very highs and lows. It definitely ended on a high for me, but uh, the the lows were just kind of slogs. So um, I guess if you're super invested after like what is it four episodes, then yeah, continue on. Otherwise, just turn it off. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd recommend it either. Um, however, Hikari. Uh, I absolutely adored. She oh, might she's be, great. She mm. might be my favourite character, but at the same time, she's kind of a microcosm of the stuff that I find problematic. So the fact that she does have this kind of uncomfortable relationship with Takahashi, um, it becomes less uncomfortable as the series goes on. And by the end of it, I feel like they're in a really good place where she is his student and she is mm-hmm. his teacher and they're close, but he's not crossing lines with her. Yep. Yeah, and she doesn't have any any romantic feelings towards him, so they just end up with this really kind of sweet connection, which was lovely to see. Why didn't they get there sooner? And also, why does she keep groping her friends? Those were my big issues with Hikari. Absolutely, and it's weird because I feel like the show has such a balance where it's like, well, this part is not great, but it also sort of balances out this part. Like Sakia's crush on Takahashi Sentai, like like at times it was really cute and it's 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 unfortunate that that sort of became the only thing about her character yeah but like it's it was actually like her attempts to flirt with him were actually really adorable um (laughs) (laughs) um and it is an an appropriate crush (laughs) well exactly exactly it's perfectly reasonable for her to have feelings for him um especially since she starts off completely deflecting him and over time, she comes to trust him more. And that was a really nice arc that I think was was kind of clumsily handled. But as you say, her attempts to kind of flirt with him were were quite sweet. Um, and it, she's, again, quite... She, she kind of fumbles quite a bit herself because she doesn't really know what she's doing. And she's getting advice from this older man who's like giving yeah, her terrible but, words of wisdom. You know, f- shifting the, the focus... Because as I said, like last time we talked about it, um, in our mid-season break, I don't really have a problem with the students having a crush on Takahashi Sensei. Um, it's only when it he's he him he crosses a uh, a line that I feel um, uncomfortable with it. The focus shifting on her crush to him uh, sort of shifts away things things away from the students' uh, feelings about him. So it's sort of it sort of balances itself out it's i don't know it's weird i am so glad you you brought that up because this gives me a chance to correct something that i said in the previous podcast so in the mid-season check-in i think it was you or somebody else said i would i don't have a problem with all the students having a crush on dakashi sensei and i said oh no no me neither and then instantly regretted it (laughs) and just couldn't say anything at the time because yeah i actually a hundred percent of the the young women around him having a crush on him even if it's understandable like that that would not work for me that i'm really glad that they didn't end up in that place where every one of the girls had a thing for him in the end it was really only machi who had an actual crush on him and that felt so genuine and that felt really sweet and sincere. Um, and Yuki had, you know, she had a relationship with him, but it, there w- didn't seem to be any romance there at any point. And Hikari seemed to, she seemed to be pushing her boundaries with him a bit, which was completely consistent with what you would expect from a teenage girl. 
Yeah, and she also, she herself is not great with boundaries. No, exactly. So it made perfect sense kind of how, how her arc with him went. And I feel like they handled that well eventually. But for a while there, it looked like it was going to be 100%. And that was not the way I wanted to see no. the series go. But as you say, Sakie having a thing for Takahashi, a guy who deliberately exerts control around her where other men apparently don't. Like that that does make sense. He's got an interest in Demi's. It absolutely yeah. makes sense that she would be interested in him. I just you know, I don't understand why if you have an issue where all guys are get horny just being around you, why you would choose to surround yourself by the horniest population. AKA teenagers like I don't know at the same time if that's what she wanted to do if she wanted to be a high school teacher the fact that she doesn't let her her demi status get in Mm -hmm. the way says something quite powerful yeah that's true she could I don't know there's a lot of all girls schools and again though this is this is an (laughs) analogy for disability and for her to say Mm -hmm. this isn't going to be an obstacle to me yeah and you know I going back to the disability thing I do like you know, I love that they use the um, accommodation, you know, the accommodations model instead of the fixing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and sort of, you know, and I think the penultimate episode, like all of the students being like, well, why, why are they like, they only talk to each other and they only talk to him. Like, why is that? And then they're like, well, it's because he doesn't try to treat them exactly like they're exactly the same and dance around their disability yeah he he acknowledges it and he treats it like a thing but he also treats them like people and then so they sort of start getting more comfortable with that um and i thought like that like like i said it's there's so many things about the show that pisses me off but then the things that it does right it does right in ways that I don't really I haven't really ever seen before and maybe that's the problem maybe maybe the the things that we like about it that is kind of us looking for scraps in a way or being kind of contented with scraps because if there were more shows that really looked at disability and didn't Mm -hmm. have those pitfalls then surely we'd be looking at this and saying these these lows are unacceptable so if the highs mm. didn't stand out so much in the landscape of all anime and I, I don't know, have you have you both seen A Silent Voice? Yeah. I've read a significant portion of the manga. Okay, so I mean that's an example of an anime that handles disability explicitly and very well. And if we had more anime like that in just the airing shows, would interviews with Monster Girls stand out as much? I'm not sure. Right, because as much as I had canon, certain anime characters is like having ADD or anxiety or autism, then it's not, you know, that's still not a real thing. Yeah, it's not, we don't diagnose anime characters, we had canon, and it's- every individual <laughs> can do that differently, so people can end up making characters whatever they want, really. Um, Sometimes an- it's just so, like, it's just so real. It's just so, like, anyway... <laughs> and again, shows leaving leaving that kind of open to interpretation, that's a way of being inclusive. Absolutely fine. Um, it's not the best way of being inclusive. You can just outright show somebody having a disability or being on the spectrum or being mentally ill, whatever. Um, but anime is not great for that. And so we have shows like Interviews with Monster Girls where we read into it and we say, okay, yeah, this is 
representing something that exists in the real world and we're just so pleased to see that that will put up with the things that are really bad and some moments of monster girls were really bad so i don't know if i'd recommend it if i did it would absolutely be a qualified recommendation and it would only be to pre-existing anime fans i think right i couldn't hand this to just a, a muggle friend but next one akka would we recommend akka yep yeah 100%. unqualified uh pretty unqualified uh, unqualified yo um i wouldn't recommend it to any everyone but if i knew it was up someone's alley it would be unqualified yeah they'd have to be comfortable with that pace really wouldn't they i think that's the biggest thing i've seen people saying against Akka is is the pace well i don't think that i like before watching it i if somebody described how like just like kind of slow and meandering <laughs> it was i don't know if i think i'd like it but no um, same yeah. exactly yeah, I'd say try it out to just about anybody and see if it kind of like, if, I don't know, if you enjoy it. It's just super chill. Yeah, I think if I if I had friends who I knew were into that kind of, of approach to, to literature or to film, mm-hmm. to another medium, then absolutely Aka 100% in a heartbeat. Not sure I'd recommend it to people who were anime fans, but into, into things like the Shonen Jump shows, for example. Yeah, I know, it's... I think I'd be more likely to recommend it to someone who liked reading novels, you know, <laughs> because they'll, they'll be a bit more used to that that sort of slow pace. Not saying that people who watch anime don't also read novels, but you know, in terms of friends I have who, how dare you? Had, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> so we'd recommend Aka. How about Rakugo? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing that's unqualified. Uh, yes. Very much yes. Even if I don't think it's something that people like, I think I still think they should watch it just because it's so, um, it's got so much like narrative. Ooh, I don't want to say narrative worth. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, <laughs> it's just I don't know. It seems really even importance the wrong word. I don't know. I think everybody should try to watch it, even if it's not something they normally watch. Mm-hmm. I'm um, not sure. I think I think it's a very challenging show actually i think it's a masterpiece but so is much art cinema for example and you you don't necessarily recommend something to someone just because it's good quality it's the actual dakugo sequences can be a bit dense i think or a bit you know i i'm I'm saying this from the perspective of i was a bit put off by those kind of 10 minute segments early on especially the first episode which is like 90 minutes long and a good 20 minutes of that is just dakugo yeah, the first um, episode was definitely, I was almost prepared to drop it. Um, yeah. But then I like, I don't know, I I wasn't, it was just a way of introducing a lot of the characters before going into Bond's story. And that's where I feel like the real interesting, that's where the narrative is established. It was love at first sight for me. Yeah, but you, but then you had to go from episode two, where Konatsu doesn't show up again for like eight episodes or something. Yeah, well, you know, Miyokichi definitely, um, because Miyokichi is also a really in- interesting character. Yes, she's very, she com- you know, she's complicated. She's doing her best, but her best is not very good. And she's just sort of very messed up, um, largely because of her life, her circumstances. And I think it's just fascinating because apparently um, in an interview, the manga creator sort of wrote her not necessarily as like a shallow villain, but... Um, you know, she was more of an obstacle. You know, she was inter- she was she was sort of there to throw their life into chaos. And um, Megumi Hayashibara's performance in the anime actually changed her perspective on the character. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. It, well, especially with that line uh, in the the penultimate episode where she talks about like her role, her as a woman, and just sort of a lot of her conflicts early on. I'm surprised that I guess it that, man the most that was one hell of a performance then, because it kind of reminded me of a uh, reading Sakuran, uh, where it's just like uh, this character who is just unhappy with their role in life, but um, it's like the entire culture of the era sort of pushes women into that role. Uh, mm-hmm. And there, it's like, uh, well, there's one line in Sakuran, which I, I thought about all the time while watching Miyokichi. It's like, uh, if you, or all of life here is a game, and if you lose, you lose badly. Oh, I'm going to butcher this line. And it's like, if you win, you lose. And if you don't play, you lose. Uh, so there's just there's like no positive outcomes, and I I felt like that resonated really strongly with Miyokichi's character. Yeah, definitely. I just butchered that line from Sakuran, though I need to read it. <laughs> well, I, I haven't read it. So yeah, exactly. Know. So we don't know any better, but I'm sure our commenters will let you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Rakugo is just a, a beautiful series. It is wonderful. Um, I've recommended it actually to friends of mine from my Japanese studies degree. Um, so people that are already familiar with Japanese culture, with Japanese, mm-hmm. like, because it's quite old-fashioned Japanese that they speak in. Um, and it's quite interesting to, to somebody who studied the language. It's just, like, fascinating to see how that evolves and to how, how the different characters speak and how they speak within the Rakugo segments to be different characters. And so that's, on that basis, I've been able to recommend it to kind of Japanese studies friends. Um I probably wouldn't be recommending it again to friends who who like the kind of more mainstream accessible anime. Um, I say friends. I'm talking about like younger family members here as well, yeah. like you know younger brothers and sisters, etc. I don't know if I'd be able to give them Rakugo right now, but maybe in five years, ten years. Right. Bit, and I'm sure that Rakugo will stand the test of time. I'm quite confident about that. Yeah. I think this is one that we're going to be talking about in years to come as something like Cowboy Bebop has been or something like Noon Genesis Evangelion has been. I think Rakugo is going to be in that bracket. Like, it's harder to be one of those series now because there's so much coming out that anime has become much more disposable. For a series to not yes. be disposable is a pretty big deal. And Absolutely. I, I do agree that Rakugo will be one of those. Absolutely. So I would say it's a recommendation, but I'm not... I'm not sure it would be completely unqualified, but I don't think the qualifications would be around feminist credentials. I would think it would be around, this is, you know, it is a big historical story and it involves a lot of, it involves a lot of theatrical performances and things like that. It would be kind of saying it's not going to be just a straightforward adventure or anything like that. Yeah. But I think a lot of people who aren't interested in anime would really appreciate it. I would recommend to someone who's into film. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or into theatre, even. Yeah. No, it's definitely, like, it's it's art. Okay, um, how about how about Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid? Do we recommend that? Uh, I yes. absolutely would, but it's one of those shows where if the person hasn't watched a whole lot of anime, I probably wouldn't yes, make that Yes, it is an anime for anime fans. Yeah, yeah, this is the opposite of what I just said. Like, if I had a friend who was into kind of the more shonen jump stuff, um, I think I would recommend them, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Um, I think it's a rare example. I say, I say rare. Now I've said that, I have to think that through. But I think it's an example of an anime that is a majority female cast um, that isn't designed for the male gaze. 
I really don't get that. Um, the, I know, I know that it was, it was. I think it's, it's targeting male audiences, but it doesn't read that way. The way they've adapted it to anime. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah. I think it, it was. Uh, isn't it a shonen? It's got a lot of. Yeah, jingle, absolutely. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I don't. I don't know. I, that, I feel free to challenge me on this. This, <laughs> this is, is just the I mean, this is sort of Luko This is, is the, sort of why I don't like. I I tend not to talk about the male gaze in my um, analysis unless it's like a really yeah. essential part. Is that like it's it's got a lot of jiggle to it. Yep, that's fair. That's um, fair. And it's. Got, I said that know. actually thinking, except Lukoa. I completely cut her out of my brain when I said that. Even so. Toru and Elma, like, they've got a lot of jiggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, like, I, I watched the first couple episodes with my friends who, like, watched some anime, but not a whole lot. And they were just like, oh, my God, her boobs are just all over the place. Uh, yeah. um, so we're pretty, probably, you know, I think it's safe to say we're pretty desensitized to it but like the jiggle for me like it doesn't cancel out all this stuff that i really like about the show yeah um you know it's it is a if i think about it it is a mildly annoying distraction but like even then i just sort of like block it out yeah Unless i mean that's like really focusing in on there that's the essentially what i just did yeah yeah, absolutely. That's essentially what I just did, saying, oh, it's not for the male gaze. No, no actually, <laughs> Lukoa's entire character seems to be specifically for the male gaze, so I'm not sure what I was thinking there. Um, but you do just block it out, like you say. I completely forgot about her. Um, and, you know, the moments like the sports day, for example, the sports festival, and they just went over and over and over over the fact that Lukoa's breasts are big and Shota is a young boy with guys around saying, your older sister's amazing. Um, after she she shows up with her boobs, and that was that was kind of their running shtick there, and that uh, yeah that stuff is kind of threaded throughout, but I still really enjoyed it despite that, and it was very much despite that for me. I did find that stuff jarring, but as you say, other things offset that. So yeah, yeah, agreed. Recommendation for existing anime fans only, I guess. Mostly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unless like uh, yo. Unless, like, I really, really know they are into that slice of uh, homoerotic slice of life. It's good. Yeah, I'm just going to recommend this one for anime fans. It definitely requires a lot of anime literacy. <laughs> I think that's a fair point. Um, I want to go back to our ranking from beginning. So at the beginning of the season, I reviewed 19 shows. We looked at the top 10 in our mid-season. And I just want to look at the top five now. So number one was Monster Girls. We've talked about that. Number two was Scum's Wish. Um, Peter, I think don't think you saw Scum's Wish. Uh, no, you? I do not have an anime no. strike membership, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've they've made it inaccessible to quite a lot of people by putting it behind a, an extra paywall. Um, Caitlin, did you watch Scum's Wish? I watched about half of Scum's Wish. About half. What did you think of that half? I mean, I re- I mean, it was good. It was really good. Um, it was a very well done series. Um very insightful to these characters um mental states and sort of the uh self-loathing and uh depression that they're dealing with but like i just didn't connect connect to it emotionally um you know a lot of people were saying finding it very relatable and i 
was not. So, and my time management skills are bad. So it feels like I have less time than I do. So if I'm not connecting to a show in some way, I drop it pretty fast. That is completely fair. If I weren't reviewing things for Anafem, if I didn't have an obligation to watch certain shows, I guarantee you the amount of anime I actually watched would be dropped to about an eighth of what it currently is. So I think that's entirely fair. And yeah, your time is limited and you can't watch 19 shows on the off chance that something like, I don't know, Handshakers is going to turn out to be amazing. So, <laughs> oh, it's amazing in a certain way. <laughs> but it was amazing in that way from episode one. And I think you can just kind of tick that box and yeah. move on. Um, I did watch Scum's Wish right to the end. Absolutely loved it. I'm one of the people who found it really relatable. Um, but I remember you, you said... I'm not I'm not connecting with anyone and I was just my mind was blown because I couldn't possibly imagine somebody not connecting with these characters so I think it it maybe is a show like that where if you relate to it you really relate to it if you don't you're cut off because I saw some other other women that I follow making similar comments on either Mm -hmm. side of that line and there didn't seem to be as much of the kind of in-between commentary around it from what I saw on my corner of the internet yeah, I'm sort of, my tolerance for shows that are just constant misery, I think, is dropping. <laughs> I, I discovered that also while I was watching the second season of Magic Night Rare Earth. It's just like, oh my god, everyone is so sad all the time. <laughs> Please, someone, smile for a few minutes and not like a, I'm just smiling to make him think that I want his dick sort of smile. No, someone, (laughs) please, please have a moment of genuine happiness for the love of God. And yeah, so like, I just, you know, I I don't have the emotional energy for shows like that anymore. It was a heavy read. It was really like, it's rough. Yeah, because you've read the the manga through to the end, haven't you? Uh, Yeah, I got, I'm not sure how far I was pretty deep. Yeah. I think the the anime is a very faithful adaptation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone who's read the manga, you've you've pretty much had the anime experience. Although I will say the voice acting is like exactly where it should be. I think there was there wasn't anyone who was miscast. I don't think, and Hanabi's voice actor did a really good job of making her sound kind of petulant but also quite endearing, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you need for Hanabi's character. So I was really impressed by that. But yeah, if you've read the manga, it's it's wonderful. It's got the same kind of aesthetic as the as the anime. And no, you tell me that makes good anime. Well, <laughs> more consistently than most time slots, but that did that is the time slot that brought us Guilty Crown. I have and no opinion on this issue. Yeah, well, we'll leave we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number three. Oh wait. Would you recommend Scum's Wish, Caitlin? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's like it's a it's a well made series. It just wasn't for me. I think I would recommend it. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be entirely unqualified, but it would be qualified in the same way as if I recommended like a Western film that had that level of kind of well sexuality in it for a start. You know, I'm not recommending this to my mum. And having that kind of emotion, like complicated emotion tied into it, like I think that would be hard for some people to watch. So I kind of let them know in advance, you know, it can be a bit hard going sometimes. Um, But at the same time, I I did. Oh, no, I couldn't. No, no, let's not. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't watch it with my mom, but I think she 
she would probably find it more relatable than I did. Maybe we should get her on the podcast. We can ask her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, number three on our ranking was Akka, which we've talked about. Number four was Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. And number five was Saga of Tanya the Evil. Caitlin, you didn't watch this. I did not watch it. Did you watch any of it? Nope. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, you watched it right to the end? Yeah, I thought it was really good. Uh, I feel like the ending was opening up for a second season, which I really hope happens. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed, actually. I I thought it was just going to kind of be this, like, Hirano-esque kind of, like, theater of violence, um, but it kind of actually really focused on some um, cultural um, discussions, I guess. Uh, like, it really, like, went in, uh, like, they went all in on the fact that Tanya is basically a fascist and kind of, like, how that resonates with her capitalist tendencies and it didn't make any attempts to really make her an endearing, or a bit, besides just like her being entertaining, it didn't try to like portray her as the good guy or anything like that. I was surprised with what they did do with her though, because like you say, they did make her entertaining at times. They made her comic relief sometimes, which was surprising. Yeah. And they made her into a good leader. She kind of, once she had her team of committed soldiers, she knew how to motivate them. She knew how to lead them and to get their respect, which I wasn't really expecting considering their flashback to her past as a salary man. Well, I, I think uh, she made a surprisingly good fascist and a part of fascism <laughs> is motivating people with their uh, emotions. True. So uh, their, their, their lower instincts. So I feel like she tapped into that pretty successfully. I think it was, I, I, like it's quite a shocking image to have this young girl who is so hateful at times. Mm-hmm. Like when she uh, she kills that guy, I think, or she thinks she's killed that guy, and she takes his rifle, which is like for him, it's a really kind of significant, meaningful, sentimental object, and she's just yeah. like, "Oh, great, I got a gun." Gives and herself a birthday present. That's what exactly, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, and it's it's cold, it's callous, it's exactly the the salary man that we saw at the beginning of episode two. And for that to show up in this young girl's body, like the fact that the last line of the series, I think, is um, it's about her being a monster in the body of a young girl. Yeah. But at the same time, we know that Tanya's like she's been well rounded enough by that point that in a way it's almost more shocking. She's not 2D. She's not flat. Well, she is 2D. (laughs) She's not a flat character is what I mean. Yeah. She's completely fleshed out and she's still a monster in many ways. I was a bit, I was wondering what they were trying to do at certain parts because there's the, the point where she saves one of her companions essentially by taking, mm. uh, it wasn't really a bullet, like an explosion for him, I guess. Uh, yeah. And then she kind of, I, I felt like they were kind of going in a direction where is it like she's uh, more aware and, and smarter than the people above her, but I think it was just she was more ruthless and understood the, like the, again, the baser instincts of mankind more. So she knew that, like, even though they'd had this this big victory, they weren't going to stop fighting the empire. Uh, yeah. that, that their enemies would rise again, and she basically understood that because she was so in tune with like these these lesser instincts of mankind. So uh, yeah, it, it's yeah in that way, yeah, it's like there there are pluses and minuses, but at the end of the day, she is just kind of a ruthless monster. She's not a complete psychopath, you know. We we see that she isn't completely incapable. Yeah, it reminded of, me and, of uh, "There Will Be Blood." Uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie with Daniel no. Day Lewis. Oh, uh, it's a it, it like spawned the magnificent bastard trope. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, it's kind of like the the main character is a horrible 
uh, person, but you find uh, elements of sympathy to their character. Yeah, but she's she's quite unsympathetic in many ways. Yeah. So I th- I think they walked that line really well. I think they could have made her unsympathetic to the point of you, do, you you're put off watching anymore. Yeah. But at the same time, if they'd made her more sympathetic, that would have completely undercut the character. You do so like seeing think... her get owned by God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the core of the appeal for me, was her kind of cat and mouse thing with with being X. And I, the moments where, where he shows up, he, maybe not, um, shows up, it's it's very creepy. And they handled it really well. And I actually thought the audio of Tanya was something that really stood out for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. There were a few episodes that I found that they were leaned a bit more on the military side of things than the being X side of things. And I was less interested in that. But when it was good, it was very good. And I, yeah, it's set up for a second season. I do look forward to seeing that. Caitlin, there's something you wanted to say? Yes. Um, so I, if you're going to um, the SakuraCon convention in Seattle on Easter weekend, um, I will be uh, doing three panels there. Uh, the first one will be Friday at 1045 uh, about uh, abusive relationships in shoujo manga and sort of how they're romanticized and uh, what the signs of abuse are uh, as they are presented in them. One will be, uh, gosh, what is the time? On Saturday at uh, 8.45 p.m. Um, is this feminist or not? Um, talking about sort of different ways of uh, looking at anime as a feminist, but not necessarily approaching it from the question of, is this feminist or not? Um, and the third one is going to be about on Sunday at 11 a.m. about shoujo isekai series from the 90s um, as opposed to the uh, otaku oriented ones that are coming out uh, these days so if you are at sakura con come stop by say hello i'd love to uh, meet anyone who listens to this yeah and please do tell caitlin if you heard about her panels from this podcast that (laughs) would just make our day (laughs) Okay, I think that wraps it up for our talk on the 2017 season, We the, the winter season, sorry. We will, of course, be coming back for the spring season, which I'm just starting to review right now. So you can find more of our work and our podcasts at www.animefeminist.com. You can find us on Twitter at AnimeFeminist. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash AnimeFem. And we do have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash AnimeFeminist. Uh, it's been our priority to pay the team from day one, and thanks to the generosity of our patrons, we reached $800, enough to pay for four articles per week, uh, by the time we were two and a half months old. So we would really like to make these podcasts weekly, but only once we hit $900 in patron pledges and we can afford to pay our editor $15 an hour for their time. Because if you do something once every couple of weeks, it's a it's a favour. If you do it every week, it is a job, and people should be compensated for the work that they do. So if you can spare a dollar a month, it does add up. So please go to www.patreon.com slash animefeminist and send us a dollar a month to continue our work if you can. So thank you so much to Caitlin and Peter for joining me today. And please get involved in the comments and let us know what you think.